All right, you can be turning your Bible to Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in that video clip, but uh, you know, oftentimes we find ourselves in situations where uh, we struggle with prayer. We don't know what to pray for. We don't know how to pray. And so uh, this month of July, we're doing a series called Teach Me to Pray. You don't raise your hands, but I just wonder how many of you could learn a little bit about prayer. You could be helped a little bit in your prayer life. Well, um, the Bible helps us with that, and particularly the Lord's Prayer uh, that Jesus teaches us helps us learn how to pray, because there really is no greater thing in all of life than to pray, to be able to talk with God, to communicate with God. I came across this uh, quote uh, just in reading this week from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who said this. It really summarizes the, the hope of this whole series. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says that prayer is the highest activity of the human soul. So it doesn't get any better, any bigger than this. There is nothing that tells us the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. Therefore, we need instruction in every respect on this matter. We need to be taught how to pray, and we need to be taught what to pray for. Now, that's why Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. Listen, the Lord's Prayer is not some ritual. It's not for you to put on a Christian t-shirt. You know, it's not for you to just recite at church all the time, though there's nothing wrong with that. The Lord's Prayer was given to us to teach us, to guide us, to help us pray. So we're studying that, we're learning about that, and uh, we're being challenged. Uh, Certainly I am uh, in the area of prayer. So let's look here at Matthew 6. We won't read the whole Lord's Prayer this morning. Uh, We'll just read verse 5 down through verse 9. If you're able to stand, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, this is what Jesus says here about prayer. He says, when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, and here's the phrase we'll look at this morning, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Pray with me. God, I ask that it is your name that would be exalted this morning as, um, as I proclaim your word. I pray that uh, you would stir up in us a passion for your name, a desire uh, to live lives and to pray prayers that are ultimately about you and uh, not so much about us. So help us to that end. We ask for the glory of your name in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, um, I spent most of my childhood growing up in the 80s. Anybody want to give it up for the 1980s? Yeah, 20 of you, I think, from the 80s. This is a younger service. But I tell you, as I think about growing up in the 1980s, it was an incredible decade to really grow up in. I mean, there were great inventions uh, like the Rubik's Cube. How many of you remember the Rubik's Cube? Still, still got one? I, I still can't figure that thing out, right? Amazing thing. Uh, how many of you remember the clapper, right? 
Clap on, clap off. The clap. Anybody still have a clapper? Don't admit that publicly. <laughs> or what about, this was one of my favorite inventions in the 1980s, the Trapper Keeper. You remember the Trapper Keeper? That thing was awesome because it was a notebook and like a time machine all wrapped up in one. I mean, it was incredible. There was amazing technology during the 80s. You know, there was Atari. It had like two video games. It was all about shooting rocks. How many of you remember the Easy Bake Oven? Yeah, woo, Easy Bake Oven. And the VCR. Some of you, you're like, I don't even know what this guy's talking about, which makes some of you feel very old. There were social trends, some of you, I mean, not me, right? So there were social trends during the 1980s, like break dancing. Do you remember that? You will be so proud of your pastor. I used to be known in high school for doing the worm. Do <laughs> you mean to show you right now? There ain't a chance that's going to happen. You crazy. I would break something trying to do that. There was also social trends like roller skating. Remember roller skating? And this was my favorite. Now, I'll lose some of you on this, but man, this was my childhood Hulkamania. Yes. I was a real American hero, brother, right? I mean, the 80s were, were filled with so many great things, but probably one of the greatest contributions to pop culture from the 1980s was the hairband. Remember the hairband? Yes. Men with enough hairspray to set the world on fire. And one of the most popular hairbands during the 80s now, and they were a little bit before that too, but, but I knew of them uh, uh, very well because my, it was one of my brother's favorite bands uh, was a hairband named Van Halen. Any Van Halen fans? Oh gosh, shall we pray? Lord, teach us to pray. If you don't know who I'm talking about, you didn't miss that much. But Van Halen did a very odd thing, among many things actually. Uh, but like every other band, when they were going to do a show, a band will send out a contract. It's known as a rider. And in that contract, you list out all the things that you need to, to have done for when you show up. So how you want the speakers set up and how you want the light situated and what you need backstage and all those types of things are, are outlined in the contract. Well, Van Halen had a very, very odd request in their contract. What they requested was for a bowl of M&Ms to be placed in their dressing room and as if that wasn't kind of strange enough, they wanted all the brown M&Ms removed. Now, when I heard that, I thought, that is so arrogant. You know, like, when I eat my M&Ms, I can't eat brown M&Ms. You know, it's like, what? What is the deal? Well, not too long ago, one of the band members of Van Halen actually came out and, and told people why that was in their contract, why they requested a bowl of M&Ms with no brown ones. And here's the reason. It was, it was fascinating when they told why. Now, the reason was is that they were doing so many shows across the country, hundreds and hundreds of shows. There was, I mean, a very complex setup system, tractor trailers filled with equipment, and everything needed to be set up exactly right. There was no room for error. It could affect the whole show. And so they put in the contract that no brown M&Ms so that when they got to a venue, they could go backstage, 
look at the bowl of M&Ms, and if they saw brown M&Ms, they knew that they had not paid close attention to the contract, and they would demand a check of the entire setup. In other words, that one little bitty phrase, that one little request served as a pointer to a possibility of the whole thing being off track. One phrase was a sign as to whether or not you were doing it correctly. I would submit to you that in the Lord's Prayer, there is one little phrase that we often practically pay no attention to, and it is a sign that your prayer life and my prayer life is off. The phrase is, hallowed be your name. Oh, now you know it because you know the Lord's Prayer. I'm actually, I'm asking, do we actually pray that way? Because my fear is that in our rush to give our request, to tell God what we need, to, to let Him in on what our wants are, that we actually more times than we realize are praying about our name and not His. And if we skip that little phrase, we are actually missing what prayer is all about. Now, that's a pretty heavy statement. You say, back that up. And here's why. You might want to jot this down because prayer, before it is anything else, is an act of worship. Prayer, before it is anything else, is an act of worship. See, look at verse 9 here. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, how many of you have used the word hallowed in the last couple of months and church doesn't count? Nobody. You don't use that word very often. We don't really often know what it means. What does it mean to hallowed something or to hallow something? The word means to set apart in a class all by itself. Uh, to see as holy, to sanctify, what, if you want to use bigger words. But it simply means to set apart in a class all by itself. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Listen, listen, listen. Jesus is saying is whatever you set apart in your prayer is what you want to be worshipped in your prayer. Now that'll preach. Whatever you set aside, whatever you put in a class all by itself, whatever you're really focused on in your prayer is what you want worshipped in your prayer. So Jesus is saying what we need to pray is pray like this, hallowed be your name. Now notice that that phrase here is not a declarative statement. So it's not hallowed is your name, like God, you're holy, you're righteous, you're faithful, you're majestic, although he is, and that's true, and that's a good thing to do. Jesus teaches that we should pray requesting that God's name be hallowed. Say, so what is that all about? It's simply this. Here's what we're saying. Look right here. Uh, Jesus is saying that when you pray, what you're saying, the motivation, whether you use the phrase hallowed be your name or not, the motivation of your heart is that when the dust settles and your prayer is answered, whether it's yes, no, or wait, your prayer is answered, the name that will be all alone, the name that will be in a class by itself, the name that will be seen by you, by your family, by your church, the name that is seen is the name of God. 
and not your name and not what we want. Jesus is saying, pray, hallowed be your name. Now, let me ask you, man, guys, this is so, so incredibly convicting for me. Most of my prayer life is about my happiness, not God's holiness. You with me? Just little honesty moment here. Honest evaluation of our prayer life, it typically centers around us. Meaning, what we're often doing is setting our name or our wants aside as what is the ultimate focus. And Jesus is saying, man, you're off. Don't pray that way. Pray that puts my name as the ultimate priority. And, and we do this so unknowingly. Like I think we're, we're, we're almost unconsciously do this. Uh, Larry King was interviewed one time, you know, the, the former CNN um, you know, talk show host or whatever. He was interviewed at why he was good at his job. Now listen to his response, and it, uh, he meant it seriously, like he wasn't joking. Here's what he said. Why, why are you good at your job? Larry King responded, I'm sincere. I'm really curious. I care what people think. I listen to people's answers, and I leave my ego at the door, and I don't use the word I. <laughs> there is something ironic about trying to describe yourself as not being in the center by putting yourself in the center. By saying, I, I don't use the word I, except for the six times previously. You see, it is so natural. It is the default of the human condition to put ourselves in the driver's seat, not only in our life, but in our prayer life. To the point that we don't even, we don't even realize it. That's why I say, you know how would be thy name because you know the Lord's Prayer. But the question is, do you pray that way? Is the name that motivates you in your prayer the name of God? Do you remember in school when they taught you I before E except after C and all those other rules that would follow after? I'm going to give you something this morning. I want you to remember it. Yes, it's kind of silly, but you'll remember it. Jesus is saying that when it comes to prayer, it is always thy before I. It is always thy before I. And if you look at your prayer life, I guarantee you that you're going to find whether or not you have a really small thy and a really big I, or whether you have a really big thy and a really small I. And Jesus is saying, I want, I want, listen, I want you as my disciples. I want you as my followers. I want those of you that really want to learn how to pray. You really want to get serious. You really want to do this thing right. You really care. You agree with that quote that this is the greatest longing of the human soul. Then learn how to pray like this. Not how it would be my name, but how it would be thy name. When is the last time you prayed a prayer and never mentioned yourself? Awkward silence. You know, there are a lot of prayers in the Bible. No, no, listen, listen. I'm not saying that you shouldn't give requests. The Lord's Prayer gives requests. We're going to get to that. I'm saying not don't give requests. I'm saying that's all we do for the most part. When is the last time we prayed a prayer that was ultimately and only about God? I want to show you an example of that in the Bible. It's found in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet was called to preach to a people who wouldn't listen. 
You listening? He was called to preach during a time when his people were in captivity. Uh, in fact, Jeremiah himself is, when he, when he prays this prayer, is in prison. I mean, the, the judgment of God is about to come upon the people of God, and, and he is frightened. And so how would you pray if you were in that situation? Get me out. I mean, you would think Jeremiah would be calling out to God for help. You know, help me, God. Help me, Oprah. Help me, Tom Cruise. You know, help me, somebody. I mean, get me out of this. This is not a good situation. I'm frightened and I'm scared. And the default position for all of us, again, is to what? To pray focused on ourselves. But how does Jeremiah pray? I think this is a great example of of Matthew 6. Here's Jeremiah's prayer. I pray to the Lord saying, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You show steadfast love to thousands. And you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. Oh, great and mighty God, whose what? Name is the Lord of host. And if you read the rest of the prayer, do it this afternoon. All he does after that is recount the Exodus event. And then the prayer ends and not one time does he mention what he wants God to do for him. Now he prays that way in other parts of the book. My point is to simply say, not don't ever make requests, but have times of prayer where the only motivation of your prayer is God. His fame, His renown, His glory, how He will look in your family, relationships, church, place of work, school, so on and so forth. That's what Jesus wants us to pray. And that shows us the difference from the Lord's prayer than the other types of prayer. Because go back in chapter 6 and look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Jesus said, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, that is the religious leaders, because when they, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. So look right here. Who is big in that prayer? It's not God. I mean, God's always big. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, God's not shown to be big in that prayer. Who is shown to be big? Me, how I look. It's like uh, Jesus, Luke 18, uh, says there's two people who go down to the temple and pray. One was a what? Pharisee. The other one was a what? Tax collector. And what does the Pharisee do? The Bible says, standing by himself. Do you see? He prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I'm not like those people, all unjust. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 6, 5. He's saying, when, listen, come here, come here close. When, when all you're concerned about is the words you're praying, or you don't pray because you don't want to be embarrassed, or you do pray 